Thank you, BJ. Hopefully you have your Bibles opened uh, to 1 Peter chapter 5. Um, just, a, uh, just a short word, um, kind of as introduction to this text as we are working our way through the book of 1 Peter. Um, you know, it's been an interesting two weeks uh, for me and for my family. Uh, you know, we were as though, as you all know, we were under quarantine for 14 days. My oldest son uh, had the virus and uh, thankfully showed no symptoms, his, was fine. And so we are, we are out from under that. Um, but there were some stresses along the way with um, um, some various things that I don't need to mention. Uh, but other things like uh, my mom had to go into the hospital with some heart things and um, I'm just thankful for the elders of the church, uh, several of whom I called and just leaned on and uh, I knew were praying for me and um, helped me uh, with some wisdom along the way with some, with some other things. And um, So I had that going on and then I, I had the, the other side of, uh, of being an elder in the church and Saturday morning I was out running and uh, uh, I know this is weird, but uh, had two text message conversations going on at once while I was running, and uh, one family was uh, calling and just rejoicing. Uh, their son was able to compete in, a, in an athletic event, and there was just some sense of normalcy, and it was almost like a, you know, they're just kind of rejoicing that, that, that their kids got to be back out doing something fairly normal, uh, and at the same time, texting with another uh, man whose um, children were just pulled out of uh, sporting events and normalcy and just trying to rejoice and mourn and, uh, you know, just, just love well. Today, um, we're, we're going to be talking about the role of elders within the church. And I think that these are interesting times, and we'll close by talking about that a little bit. Um, but you may ask yourself the question, why in the world, if Peter, as he's going through this letter, is leaning in and exhorting uh, elders in this church, why in the world should I, if I'm not an elder, if I were one of you sitting in the, in the rows this morning, why in the world should you listen? And the first thing I want you to see is that Peter expects you to listen. Notice in, in, in the first verse, he says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you. So the very fact that he has written this letter uh, to these groups of believers in Asia Minor during this time, and as he writes this letter, he's saying, I, I write to the elders among you. In other words, his expectation is that uh, the, the church, the people, would be listening in. And so that's the... The first thing that I want you to see, and probably the most important. Um, some other reasons is that I, I think that as you listen to what Peter is exhorting to these elders, uh, one of my hopes is that you as a, as, as a body, um, one of the things is I hope that you learn how to pray for your elders. Uh, I, I think as we go through this text, you're going to see the responsibility and the weight of this and that. Um, the elders aren't always given exact ways to do everything. And so one of the things I hope it gives you um, encouragement on ways that you can pray for us to, 
so that we would stay humble, that we would um, be courageous, and that we would love well. The other thing that I think is important is that it's also important, you know, here at Signal Mountain Bible Church, um, I think in December, uh, we begin to take nominations from the body uh, of men who will possibly serve as an elder. And you need to have in your mind um, what that office looks like, what these men, um, the, the role that they have. And so there's some accountability um, here, and, and I, think it's, I think it's important. So as you listen in, one of the things that you see as BJ read this text is that the structure here is pretty straightforward. It's this is Peter exhorting the men, elders, on, on how to shepherd the flock, on how to lead um, the people of God that have been entrusted to them. But one of the things that is vital in understanding this text is that you must understand the context. If you remember, if you've been with us, then you will know that Peter is writing this epistle uh, to a group of people that were undergoing um, minor persecution at this point, but the heat is being ratcheted up. And we know that very soon after this is written, widespread, hardcore persecution is happening. And we know, if you've been with us, we've said it over and over again, that Peter is preparing the church to suffer. And as Peter is preparing the church to suffer, um, I think it's pretty clear that what Peter is doing in this context is he is also preparing the elders on how to shepherd a body that is going to be suffering. And so as we listen in and as we look, I want this to be um, in our minds. The first word, the first word of this of, of this new section is therefore. And so as he says, therefore, or so in some of your translations, this goes back to, I think, in chapter four, starting in verse 12, where Peter is talking about, beloved, don't be surprised at the fire or duel among you, uh, which comes about for your testing and, and ending in verse uh, really 16 through 19. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed, but to glorify God in this name, for it's time that ju- for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And so what I think Peter is doing here is that as he's saying, therefore, therefore, elders, based upon this, based upon the fact that that suffering is here, persecution is here and it's going to increase. Uh, and you the, the people that we are that he is writing to um, are expected to endure and to persevere. Therefore, elders, here's how you do this. Here's how you do this. Now, before we jump into uh, this text um, full-heartedly, I, I want to just mention just a couple of uh, important, I think, uh, side notes. The, the first one is this. It says, therefore, I exhort the elders among you. Uh, it's interesting, this word elders is plural. Um, every time that the Scripture talks about elders, unless it's talking about a particular person, like uh, where Peter says, as your fellow elder, uh, but every time that the, the, it's talking about the office of elder, it's always in the plural, in the New Testament. And so, so what, I, what we see in this text and what we see in other texts in the New Testament is that the, the God's design for the leadership of the church is a plurality or a, a, a plural elders. There's more than one. 
The model for the church is not like a CEO pastor model uh, where the pastor comes in and makes all the decisions, does all the, all the things. No, that the model for the church is for there to be elders. Um, we, we see um, all throughout the New Testament, and we're not going to go into an in-depth study of this this morning. Uh, we did uh, preach on this uh, several months ago as we were doing some uh, distinctives of Single Mountain Bible Church. But what you would see if you took a survey of the New Testament is that it was clear to see that there were elders that were the head of the church in Jerusalem, that Paul and Barnabas uh, in Acts as they are going and uh, establishing churches in Acts 14.23, it says that they appointed elders over every church. In Titus and in 1 Timothy as Paul is writing um, uh, to, to these churches and he's, he's instructing uh, that they appoint elders and how to do that. And the assumption here in this text is that elders are the leaders um, of this church, of these groups of people, and there's not just one, that this is God's structure. And so as we jump into this text, um, there are several things that I want you to see that I think Peter is wanting us to see, that God under the inspiration, Peter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that God is, is pointing us to. And the first thing, that I want you to see in this text is that Peter gives us two examples of how to elder. He gives us two examples of how to elder. And the first one uh, we see um, in the very beginning, I exhort you, exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder. So Peter puts himself uh, as as an example uh, as, as how to elder. Now think about this. Think about this. Peter is writing an exhortation to the church. And he's going to say, shepherd the sheep. The most authoritative thing Peter could have said would have been what? As an apostle, I exhort you to do this. And certainly we see the biblical writers at times doing that. I believe that Peter here carefully is choosing his word by saying, as a fellow elder, uh, shepherd the sheep. And that he's wanting to do this to give himself as an example uh, so that the elders that would be reading this, the, the, the churches that would be reading this, would, would be able to identify with him, to, to see him as an example. And the first thing that I think we see is Peter being humble here. Peter being humble. Peter was not only an apostle, but a lot of people were looking to him as the apostle. <laughs> the leader of the church in Jerusalem. But notice Peter says as a fellow heir, he, as, as a fellow elder, that he is doing it. He's writing in this way in humility to encourage these elders. Now, the other thing that I think is fascinating, there's many fascinating things about this text. But think about it this way. Peter is writing, knows persecution is coming. He's trying to prepare these elders for persecution. And, and think about this. What was Peter's experience with persecution like? As you think back to the first time that that Peter experienced some persecution when a um, young woman asked him, weren't you with Jesus? What does Peter do in the midst of that persecution? Shrinks away. Do we see Jesus restore Peter? And then at Pentecost, when he is full of the Holy Spirit, 
Next thing we see is that when persecution comes, as Peter is proclaiming the gospel, he stands firm on proclaiming the gospel and proclaims the gospel to the church. And, and one of the things that we know is that not too long after this letter is written, Peter is going to be executed in Rome. And so Peter, as he is, as he is preparing these elders to suffer, there is a sense if they know his story that they say, Man, this man has been through it and he has made mistakes and we can look to him as an example of how to do it the right way. Being filled with the Spirit, standing firm in the faith, loving the people that are entrusted to us. Another kind of side note that I think is is interesting here. As Peter is, is writing and giving himself as an example and he calls himself a fellow elder, um, I think it's interesting that he doesn't use the word as an apostle here. And I think one of the things that Peter knows and one of the things that we see in the early church is that soon all the apostles will be gone. And so Peter knows that the shift in leadership of the church uh, will be from the living apostles to the apostolic word. And that this word is to be kept and and to be put in front of the congregation by the elders. In fact, in the New Testament church, in the New Testament, there are three words, and we see them in this text, that there are three words that are often used, uh, that are often translated as elder. And they're all combined in this text to refer to the same office. And in other texts in the New Testament, it was a century or two later in the church where those words were kind of parsed out and other offices were kind of put into place. I don't think, it's my opinion, it's my opinion that the church was never meant to function in that way. And so one of the things that I see, I think we see going on here as Peter is writing and using himself as an example, he is foreshadowing. He's saying as a fellow elder, uh, shepherd the flock, foreshadowing what was to come. Now, Peter not only describes himself as a fellow elder, but the the two other ways in which he describes himself, I think is meant to give an example and to give confidence uh, to these elders as they learn what it means to shepherd the flock. Notice the second thing Peter says about himself. I exhort you, exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now there is much debate over how much of the sufferings of Christ did Peter witness. And, and the debate circles around, uh, did Peter actually see the crucifixion? Some, uh, some people take this so far to say that um, they don't think Peter was the author of this part of the text because he didn't see the crucifixion. I think that's just a far leap and jump. I think as Peter walked with Jesus, he saw much of Jesus' suffering. He saw people abandon Christ. He saw people um, uh, say that Christ had a demon. He saw Jesus maligned. He saw people pick up rocks uh, in order to attempt to stone him. He saw Jesus being taken away. Um, He might have seen the crucifixion. We don't know. And I don't think it really matters. I think what we see is that Peter saw enough to be able to say that I saw the sufferings of Christ. Not only that, but when Jesus, the resurrected Christ, appeared to Peter, I think Peter also saw the marks of the suffering of our Savior on the cross. 
so that Peter saw the sufferings of Christ. And this is meant, I think, him saying this as a witness of the sufferings of Christ is meant by what he says later to encourage these elders. And he's telling them, as Christ suffered, so will you. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And so I think what he's saying is, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, I, I am marching into and leading in the midst of suffering myself. You elders, stick with it. You can do this. The third way that Peter identifies himself that I think uh, brings him as an example and uh, uh, gives confidence uh, to these elders uh, is also seen in this verse. Uh, he says, a fellow elder, witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Again and again in this epistle, in this letter, uh, when speaking to people who um, were suffering and would suffer, Peter calls them to look to the end of their faith, the salvation of their souls, the inheritance that is being kept for them, the reward that they will get at the end of their race. And Peter is saying this this, I am also a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. In other words, in other words, elder, suffer well. Don't live according to the current circumstances that you are in, but know that this office you hold will one day, the glory will be fully revealed to you. And Peter is saying, this is how I am living my life. Now, the second example that we get from this text, and this is maybe a little more subtle, but I think it is crystal clear. The second example that Peter points us to is Christ. Look at verse 4. He says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now it's interesting in this text that Peter calls Jesus the chief shepherd. If you go up, if you remember what B.J. read earlier, notice in verse 2, I exhort you elders, shepherd the flock of God among you. Uh, there's a play on words here in the Greek, and it's more literally, this is shepherd the sheep of God. Interesting then, in two verses later, he calls Christ the chief shepherd. If we were to go over to chapter 2, verse 25, Peter writes this. For you, will con you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Fascinating. Fascinating here. In verse 2 again, Peter says, Shepherd the flock among you, exercising oversight. This word oversight is uh, episkopos. It's overseer. The root word for overseer in which we also translate elder. In chapter 2, verse 25, the word here, uh, you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. That also, the, the word guardian, is overseer. And so Peter is bringing out this parallel between the elders and Christ. That Christ is the, Christ is the ultimate shepherd. Christ is, the in, in verse 4, the chief shepherd. And we... Elders of the church are under shepherds, and so Christ should be our example. 
And notice as he's saying this, notice he's not saying um, your sheep. (laughs) He is saying they're God's sheep. And so the way that I look at this, there's two ways that I explain this and probably should just use one. But um, example that I used this morning was um, we have two large dogs. And when we go out of town as a family, uh, we typically get the the Clems to come and to to feed our dogs and water our dogs and watch our dogs. And Casey writes out how she wants our dogs taken care of. They're our dogs entrusted to another family for a while. And and Casey gives her wishes of how she wants them to be treated uh, so that they will um, uh, act a certain way still when we are home. Right? If you let them out of the fence, they're going to run after the neighbor's dogs. We do not want that happening. We want them staying in the fence. A better example is probably, you know, as a parent, um, if we were to go out of town and we were to entrust our kids with one of you, that we would be writing out, um, hey, this is, um, this is what Flannery uh, needs to eat. This is when she needs to go to bed. This is when she needs to wake up and these sorts of things. In other words, our child but for a little while entrusted to you. And this is the idea that's in this text, is that as elders, elders are are shepherding the flock of God in a way that Christ would have them do that. He is our ultimate example. We are to take care and tend to His flock and take care of the way that He advises that we can be like Him so that... So that when he appears, we will receive the good job, job well done. So the first thing I wanted us to see from this text are these two examples of Peter and Christ. Secondly, what I want to see is how or 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 in what ways uh, should we shepherd, should elders shepherd the flock, shepherd the sheep? I I, I just get blown away (laughs) That Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it just blows my mind that he writes in this way with these words. I want you to think back with me. And I'm going to turn to the book of John and read for you a text that is going to be familiar to you. In John chapter 21, starting in verse 15 through 19. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, tend my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, tend my sheep. And Peter. Peter was spending his life feeding the sheep. And when he writes to these elders, these words are not throwaway when he says, shepherd the flock. These are powerful words. 
And what Peter is calling these elders to do is what he was called to do by Christ, and that is to feed, to tend, to pasture his sheep. And that is primarily done, primarily done by proclaiming the word of God to the sheep, that that's the steady diet of the sheep and the elders are to put the word of God in front of them. And we saw Jesus doing this over and over and over again. Second Timothy four two, Paul writes to preach the word. And in Acts chapter one through twelve, we see Peter um, just on a mission to preach the word of God. This imagery, uh, this implication of Peter's love for Christ and that being shown out in how he loved the people of God, how he shepherded the people of God. And Jesus does this as well, right? Jesus says this. Man cannot live on bread alone, but from what? The very words of God. That this is what they are to be fed. The very words. This is what we live on. Um, notice, I, I think this is also uh, interesting, is that, uh, do you remember also in John, when uh, Jesus uh, was, was teaching a large crowd of people, and he said, uh, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood to enter into the kingdom of God. And we talked about that uh, months ago. And I said, you know, wanted to make sure that you knew. Those people knew, had no idea that he was talking about uh, you know, the Lord's Supper or anything like that. And so this was weird teachings and everybody left. And Jesus says, will you leave also? And do you remember who, who spoke? Peter. And do you remember what Peter said? Where will we go? For Jesus, you have what? The very words of life. The words that give life. The words of eternal life. Now, not only, not only this imagery of shepherding the sheep, especially when it comes to, to Jesus, is it, not only is it teaching and proclamation, but notice what Jesus says. Jesus says in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. I do what for my sheep? I lay down my life. For my sheep. And then in Ephesians 5, which is uh, often uh, we look at this as a, a text about marriage, and it is. But, but let's this morning take a look at it. And, and we know if you're familiar with this text in Ephesians 5, uh, starting in verse uh, 23, that um, Paul is writing here and he's talking about how a husband and wife uh, should operate within a home. But he's making this example, he's, he's extending this metaphor of that husbands should love their wives like what? Like Christ loved the church. And so if we read that in this context, one, one of the things we see is how Christ loved the church. And that's what I want you to think through this morning. Listen to how Christ loved the church. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church. He himself being savior of the body. But if the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and he gave himself up for her. So that, for the purpose of, that he might sanctify her. So Christ gave himself up for the church so that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the what? With the word. That he might present himself 
to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of his body. This beautiful picture uh, that Paul gives us about how Christ loved the church, certainly it is by the nourishment and the feeding of the word. But the other thing that we see, that the way that elders are to shepherd the flock is that they are to give themselves their lives to the body. They are to lay down their lives for the body so that the church may be presented to Christ blameless and spotless. This is an important office and an important picture that elders are to shepherd like this. Now, I want you to notice another thing here. Notice, notice here, shepherd the flock of God among you. And I think there are at least three implications um, that, that go with these words, shepherd the flock among you. One is that I, I don't know how wise it would be to have a global, worldwide church where you are um, uh, videoed everywhere and there were no local elders uh, within that congregation shepherding the flock. Like I, I just, I, I think it's clear in Scripture that, that we are to elder, uh, shepherd the flock among us and that the shepherds, uh, therefore, there needs to be some proximity there. In fact, the second thing I want you to see about a shepherd the flock among you, and I don't know who said this, I'm stealing this from somebody, um, but I heard one time that it was said that elders should smell like sheep. That elders should smell like sheep. That means that we are in and amongst the body, that we are not an elite class that are uh, above or beyond the reach of uh, the, the sheep, but that we should be in and among the sheep, rubbing shoulders, rubbing elbows, um, being with. In other words, the elders are not like the Jedi council that are unapproachable, uh, that, that go into a room and emerge with Yoda-like wisdom of what you're going to do with, with improper grammar. That's not, who, that's not who we are to be. We are to smell like sheep, knowing, serving, fellowshipping with, and being among them. The third implication, I think, of this um, shepherd the flock among you is that in order to do this job, in order to shepherd well, in order to shepherd the flock, we've got to know who, who's in. Common sense, right? We've got to know who's in. Notice, notice in verse 3. Notice in verse 3 again nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge. Well, you've got to know the people of your body. And, and I think this is a two-way street of not only the elders practically knowing who you are, but also the sheep are committed to the flock. And so I think there are scenarios, and I know this may be a, a little unpopular in some circles, but I think there are scenarios where a church can get so large if things aren't thought through structurally, where the, the, the shepherds don't know the flock. And so the sheep can go astray 
And what happens in time of persecution when a sheep goes astray? It can get picked off. It's not under the care of the elders. And so... um, uh, so I think the, the, this, the flock must be known. Now, the, the third thing that I want you to, that was a little aside, but the third thing that I want you to see from this text is that Peter gives us the, the characterizations or the, the how-to um, of the elders, the characterizations of the elder or the how they should shepherd, in, in what manner they should shepherd. And we see this as clear, and he uses this, this structure of not this way, but this way. And the first thing that we see in verse 2 Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. So the first thing we see is that elders are to shepherd the flock, not under compulsion, but voluntarily. That there shouldn't be someone who is drugged into the office of an elder. I have been in churches where uh, because of someone's uh, status or stature or whatever, that they were almost forced to be an elder and uh, this is just wrong. Nobody should be drug in, um, kicking and screaming, as it were. Uh, th- think about it this way. If you've got someone that's just an elder, because they, were, they felt under, they're, they're, they're in this first context, the under compulsion, what's going to happen to that man when persecution comes? Is he going to joyfully out of the great heart that he has, shepherd the flock? No, I think he's going to be gone. It's interesting, this word, compulsion, is also used in 2 Corinthians 9-7, where Paul is talking about giving. And he says, don't give, out, don't give money out of compulsion. But he says, rather, give freely because God does what? God loves a cheerful giver. Let's pass the plates. No, just teasing. God loves a cheerful giver. Now, what I think is fascinating, don't do anything out of compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. I love the parallel here and want to apply it to the elders. Don't elder out of compulsion. Here should be the phrase. God loves a cheerful elder. (laughs) I love that connection and I think it's I think it's good and and right for us to have in our mind. So that's the first thing. Not out of compulsion, but voluntarily. Secondly, the second second characterization uh, is also in verse 2. Not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. That the elder should be eager to shepherd the flock. That the elder shouldn't be shepherding the flock because of sordid gain. Because of uh, uh, that he might be compensated. Uh, for that, the New Testament over and over again warns against false teachers that are peddling the word of God out of false motives. And that is the warning that Peter is giving us this morning is that we are not to do that. This doesn't mean and if you were here for our um, sermon on elders, uh, we do think it is biblical uh, to to pay an elder in order to. To, for he'd be able to set out aside as his main job and vocation to preach and teach the word of God. The key here is, is the motivation. Is the motivation a sordid gain? Or, or is the motivation eagerness to express the word of God, to shepherd the sheep among us? And we can look out, I don't even need to go into it, 
Um, but we can look out and there are no shortage, a shortage in our days of, of men who are taking pulpits simply for the sake of building, in some cases, multi-million dollar uh, industries that support themselves. And understand this. Here's the warning. If money and sordid gain or financial security is the goal of a man getting into the office of an elder, again, when persecution comes and the money dries up, what's going to happen to that elder? He's going to change vocation in order to chase the money because that's where his heart is. So thirdly, thirdly in verse 3, nor yet as lording it over those allotting to your charge, but proving to be examples. So an elder is not to lord it over, but is to be an example. An elder shouldn't be domineering, self-seeking, but should be an example of Christ to the sheep. If the goal here is, as Paul uh, said, I think, and which is a huge um, charge that I feel is, is, is heavy and weighty, where Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, that that should be the goal of an elder. And that is, uh, that is weighty and uh, difficult. The fourth thing, and I know I'm going fast here. The fourth thing in this text, we just saw the characterizations, uh, characterizations. Peter pointed those out to us. The fourth thing I want you to see quickly is notice the reward. It's not cars, it's not riches, it's not esteem. Notice in verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears or at the second coming, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This wording, the unfading crown of glory, has its roots in a couple of things. One, this word unfading is uh, speaking of a flower that is always in bloom. Um, so, so that's where they get that word, the unfading. And this crown of glory would be something that an athlete or something who, someone who competed or somebody who won a, a, a civic uh, uh, award would have been given uh, as a crown of, of glory. And what Jesus or what Peter is saying here is that when the chief shepherd appears, the elder who has shepherded the sheep will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so elders are to are to stake their claim, their reward in heaven. And that should be more important to them than anything that we can get on this earth. Now, there's this really seemingly odd um, transition. So we have this exhortation of elders, and then it says, you younger men likewise be subject to your elders. And it, it seems kind of out of the blue, uh, the way this is translated, you younger men. Um, but I think if we back up and look at this, this isn't talking about um, age. This isn't talking about physical age, like you have the old men and the young men. Really, this is given, this is Peter, and, and in the language, giving a contrast if you have elders, those who have the spiritual oversight of the church on one end, and those who are young in the faith on the other end. And notice the beautiful picture that is pointed here when we, when we look at it like this. Elders, shepherd the flock among you. Those who are over here, young men, the, 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 the new believers, young in the faith, stay in the fold. Don't get picked off. 
You have a responsibility. Put yourself under the authority of the elders. It is what is best for you. Don't go out as a lone ranger Christian because if you do, when the persecution comes, if you have not been fed well, if you're not placing yourself in a position to be fed, if you're not placing yourself into a position to be shepherded, you may not endure. Again, proximity here is important. So, just a couple of words to end. And then uh, I want us to, to do something together. The first is to, for elders, and those who are elders who are here, or um, maybe even some elders who aren't currently um, active elders, um, know that you are an under-shepherd. You are not the shepherd. And church, know this as well, that the elders here, as great as they are, are simply under-shepherds. They are not the shepherd, and this means that we are imperfect people. We do not get it all right. Thankfully, we have a shepherd who is perfect. No church that we need, all of us need to be shepherded. And lastly, I want you to know the heart of the men that serve Signal Mountain Bible Church. There are times serving as an elder um, and, and as one that gets to get up here and to preach that I just wish... There are times I just wish you could see glimpses in the elder room. And that you could just, I hope that you know how much these men love and care about you. And that as Thursday night we, we had uh, elder prayer. Um, I was on the phone walking as we did elder prayer. But one of the things that just, that th- there were a couple of just prayer requests. And, and just overall general prayer requests about not being able to be together and, and how difficult that is and how it has been and you know you just there's just a feeling in the room of the elders of our heart is breaking because we want to be with you and we want things to be normal and then as we prayed uh, through those requests there is just a love and a depth and a care um, and, and I want to say this as well about these men um, as Peter is preparing the elders in Asia Minor to shepherd the sheep as persecution comes, there are some guiding principles that they have and that he is laying out for them. But they don't have um, what to do in every given situation that they were going to face. Does that make sense? And so one of the things that's been difficult is that um, there is no chapter and verse about when COVID-19 happens, here's how you are to shepherd in the midst of that. And so what I want you to know is that these men are applying biblical principles and we are trying to do the best that we can to love you the best way that we know how. And we're going to make mistakes, but I want you to know sitting in that room that the, the intent and the purpose of these elders are good. And so what I want to ask you in closing to do is this. Will you commit to pray for them? The big takeaway, I think, for you, not only knowing what the elder should do, but the takeaway that I want you to take with you is will you commit to pray for your elders? This is a major responsibility. Will you pray for them? And so if you will, what I'm going to do right now is give you an opportunity to take some time and to pray for them. Now, 
I should have learned. I actually got all seven, so I'm going to try it again without writing it down, which is dangerous. Uh, and I'll go again with the ones that are here. Spate, who I forgot last time. I didn't forget him, but couldn't see him back there at the sound desk. Gary, um, Bill, Steve, Josh, me, and David Hudson. Would you commit right now to praying for us? And so we're going to take a time. And if we weren't under the pandemic, I would have you group up and do this. But we are. If you're at home, group up with your family and spend this time praying for your elders. We need it because we're not Jesus. We're just striving to be and care for you like he would have us to do. So let's take a moment to pray and I'll close us out in a moment. So just please pray with me for these guys. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for the men, the elders of this church and their hearts. Just as I was praying for each one of them by name, I just have been reminded of things each one of them have said, their eagerness to serve, the voluntary nature of wanting to do what's right and wanting to do what's best and wanting to do what honors you. God, I thank you for each one of these men. God, I pray you would give them wisdom. God, I thank you for the men who have served as elders who, are, who might be inactive now, who have led this church well. God, I've seen them, and as I came on staff here, they had been through some difficult times. And God, just to see how they, their heart for the body, their desire for the body to know you more deeply, their desire for your word to stand and be proclaimed. God, I thank you for these men. God, I just want to join in praying for their protection and that you would give them wisdom and strength in these interesting days. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the example that he left for us. God, I pray that we can become more like him, not only just as elders, but as as a body of believers, that as sheep, that we would resemble our shepherd more and more every day. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. If you would stand with me.